I really think we need to figure out what it means to be a community. And I'm curious what you think about like freedom and these American values and how they play a role. Yeah, especially this last you know year and a half with everybody clamoring about freedom as, as a way to say, I don't need to wear a mask or get a vaccine I'm free. <laughs> You're not free to like drive through a red light and like hit somebody. Uh, and so, yeah, freedom should come with some kind of responsibility, but yeah, you're right. Exactly. I mean, the liberal, the modern liberal idea, uh, trying to liberate people from tradition, like mm, that's a weird sense of freedom. And really it's not freedom by any like religious standard. Most religions would be like, oh no, you're putting yourself in bondage, specifically the bondage of individualism. Mm -hmm. You're turning yourself which is this thing that's connected to community and to the whole cosmos. And you're narrowing it down to this, uh, to your skin, basically. And everything inside your skin, that's you. Everything outside is not you. Like, oh, what a terrible, you've really cut yourself off. So that's not free at all. You're actually the most, you know, bound up human you could possibly be. You couldn't limit yourself any more than that. Uh, so yeah, individualism, one of the worst things for the planet. Uh, and it makes it so easy for us not to feel like we have responsibilities for each other. So yeah, the fact that people experience individualism as freedom is such a tragedy. Freedom, you know, in, in religions, if you think of uh, like liberation uh, in Hinduism, you know, moksha was precisely a feeling of being the whole universe. Mm. Uh, freedom is this kind of ecstatic state and that we always have that freedom in us. And that freedom enables us to connect with others and to care, to do our duty, to practice devotion. Um, and that freedom would disappear if we didn't have all this reciprocity with other things. I, I sometimes tell people that if they think of themselves as an individual, they could experiment just to test that by maybe like holding your breath and see how long you could be an individual. And it turns out, no, you need oxygen. And that oxygen is coming from, you know, photosynthesizing organisms in the oceans. It's coming from, uh, you know, the rainforests and things like that. So you're already connected. Like that's what freedom is. So the idea that freedom means individual action without constraint uh, is, yeah, that's just pure individualism co-opting this very nice idea of freedom. But yeah, otherwise freedom would be the freedom to enter into relationship. And freedom would feel like trust. Like if you're really free, then you can trust that you're taken care of. Like who's taking care of you? The earth and my community. So yeah, trust and reciprocity is really what it's about. If you look at, at you know any cultures that cooperate well, there's generally high levels of trust and reciprocity. It's not about individuals having rights. Yeah, it's such a weird mm -hmm. thing. And you talk to religions, yes. you're like, look, I don't want to seem anti-rights because i know we all want our rights but we had cultures that never needed that because we had community and community wasn't just some authoritarian thing coming down on you it was trusting relationships and sharing and reciprocity and as long as you had that then in, everybody knew that if they acted out they wouldn't be part of that community because we couldn't trust you anymore and so everybody wanted to be yeah. trustworthy and you didn't you didn't need rights per se so, you know, if you want like, like a Jewish animal ethic, they're like, we don't have animal rights. We do think that they're part of our community, so we care for them. 
So you can actually care more without some of these these modern concepts. Yeah, always terrible to argue against rights. Sound like a horrible person. You know, there's, no, there's it, ways that were better earlier. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, you know, I think about like Japan. And so one time I came back from a business trip, but I had a biz, like a corporate dinner. So I, I had all my luggage with me and we took a cab from the office and I put my stuff in the, the trunk of the cab and totally forgot about it. Three hours later, after dinner, I was like, oh my God, I forgot my luggage in the cab. And no one had luggage because I was the only one coming back. So, but thankfully I had the receipt um, from the cab with me. So I called the cab company. Uh, they located the driver. He was like 90 minutes away from where I was outside of Tokyo. Um, but he called me. He said, where are you? Okay, I can be there by 10.30 p.m. So he drove all the way back for free. And you don't tip in Japan. So he just dropped off my luggage and that's it. And so, wow. you know, it's it's just a different way of relating to people. Yeah. Right? Where it's more of an honor system. Yeah. You can leave a lot of the times you can leave your hat or cell phone on the train and it will come back to you most of the time. That's amazing. Yeah, that is just amazing. If I find like a key on the sidewalk, I'll bring it to the police. And my husband, who's American, um, he's like, I, I asked, like, do where would you bring like a lost item to the, in the U.S.? Like, do you bring it to the police? He's like, no. I was like, so what do you do with it? He's like, you just, he's like, you hope that there's like an ID on it and you can contact that person. I was like, what? There's no system to return things yeah. to people. Yeah. Because in Japan, that's like normal. Like, you find a police officer or a police station and you just bring back the items. And if you would like to be contacted later. Um, in case, you know, the person comes and finds the object or the lost item, they can also compensate you. So mm. you, you leave your name. So for example, if you found like $10,000 and you bring it to the police, um, I think they're obligated to give you a portion mm. or something. I don't know. But in any case, you know, it's just, uh, it's a trust system, right? It's more yeah. communal, so you don't steal from your community. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, real freedom is the freedom to exist in those kind of trustworthy relationships. I mean, if you're like on the bus and you know that if you leave your phone, your phone slips out of your pocket or something, that it will be returned. That's real freedom. Like you're, you're right. totally free of having to worry about all of your possessions because you know your community has your back. And uh, yeah, in the United States, like, no, we're not free like that at all. You have to constantly maintain like vigilant attention to all your possessions because people are happy yeah. to steal from you. Uh, right. And yeah, it's, it's like, well, that, that means you're not free to relax on the bus. You're having to worry. Is my phone still in my pocket? See people kind of frantically check, hey, got my phone, got my wallet. Here's my purse and my bag, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's just terrible. It, it's a great example of how we're not free. We're actually possessed by our possessions. Yeah, it's true. I I leave the door open to like just, you know, get take like a 20 minute walk. My husband 
turns the alarm system on all the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's, it's like, don't leave it, it is open. Like a, yeah, he's like, no, no, you can't do that. He's like, you grew up in Japan. He grew up in Tucson. But I was like, oh, that's not okay. that bad. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, yeah, but it is just in the culture here. So even people right. who live in kind of safe suburbs are like, you can't, can't risk it lock up alarm on you never know and you're like this is a friendly neighborhood and you're like can't trust it it is very sad right because yeah you don't know who's coming for you and i mean yeah. and then you mix in guns and it's i you know just like the fact that they're bulletproof backpacks for kids is so awful yeah and right that's a product that should not have to be in existence no. So, um, well, I know time is coming up. Uh, one last question. What is your vision of a truly sustainable or a better world and future? And yeah. how, how do you think we get there? It's a good, it's a good question. Um, yeah, what would a more sustainable future, a better world look like? I mean, I think it would be a lot of what we're just talking about. It'd be more uh, trust. And trust always means people giving and giving back, sharing with each other, reciprocity. Uh, and then that would look really different for different places. Uh, mm -hmm. I can imagine something like what we would have had shortly before like the Neolithic Revolution 10,000 years ago. Humans would live in small bands that were relatively sustainable, and sometimes they got pretty big. You could get some pretty big cities out of that. Even before we invented agriculture and stuff like that, we were doing some little bit of gardening here and there. So I imagine lots of thriving local cultures all over the planet. Uh, but I would also imagine there's going to be some high-rise buildings and some advanced technology in the mix, too. We're still going to have some really dense uh, cities like San Francisco, New York, uh, Tokyo, right? Um, but I think we're going to learn how to scale a lot of that down. So we'll still have computers because that'll help all these local cultures communicate with one another. Mm -hmm. I hate the idea of just like kind of re-tribalizing the human species. We need global coordination, especially as we have global problems. And there's going to be, especially the refugee crisis that's going to come out of climate change. It's already coming out of climate change. We're going to need a lot of global coordination to help people move around. So we need to keep some sense of, uh, of kind of planetary unity and technology can help us do that. Um, a lot more than, I mean, especially like uh, digital technology, because it's pretty energy efficient compared to everybody driving and flying around. Um, so yeah. that could be part of it. Uh, so I do imagine some technology, but you know, without planned obsolescence and things like that, yeah, it's going to, that industry won't be as powerful as it is now. Computer industry, stuff like that. It's like, no, you're not, we need a, a little bit of this stuff. We don't need a lot. Um, so yeah, imagine that kind of dense urban centers and then a lot of, a lot of rural land, uh, a lot of land back initiatives would have to take place because who knows how to manage these different places. It's indigenous people. And mm -hmm. I think if you look at the diversity of species on the planet, indigenous people manage like 80% of the biodiversity on earth. Uh, so letting indigenous people manage their own homelands uh, will be a big part of this as well. Um, so yeah, definitely that kind of shift in power. I would also think that privatization generally has to go. That private property, and especially the privatization of resources, you know, things should be publicly owned. Uh, 
so in that sense, I start to get a little socialist or communist about things. Um, or even go back to the idea of the commons, where things weren't publicly owned. Nobody owned anything. They just trusted mm-hmm. each other. Nobody overgrazed. Nobody overfished because they knew that people would get mad at you and you wouldn't be part of the community and it would hurt you in the long run. Uh, so I think restoring the commons or restoring some public ownership, that would have to be part of it as well. Uh, and then how to get here. Yeah, that's, that's a tough one. I, you know, like the cop 26 conference just ended in Glasgow and everybody's like, well, I guess the United nations is going to help us. And so, uh, I'm going to trust a lot more grassroots activism and community organizing and and individuals feel so powerless. Right. And we're like, no, we need to change the whole system. I'm like, well, you're not an individual, you're a community member. And communities can change things. Start a co-op, you know, and I've, I've talked to some people who have, you know, live in like the middle of the country and they're like, over the last 20 years, a lot of farm to table restaurants are opening up because people love it. So mm-hmm. like start your little farm co-op, connect to some restaurants and, uh, and we can build it up from the community level. We don't have to wait for our uh, federal or international agreements to come in. We can do this as, at the kind of bioregional level. Uh, and if we do that soon and with a lot of you know, concerted effort, uh, I think we could avoid some of the other things that would happen, like eco-terrorism. Because at a certain point, mm-hmm. you're going to have people that are like, I'm defending life on Earth. I'm just going to go out and murder some CEOs. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't be too surprised if we see more of that in the future. You know, there's this book that came out, I think, last year called How to Blow Up a Pipeline. And so people mm-hmm. are people are really talking about it. And this is a very smart guy, yeah. Andreas Malm. And he's really looking at, like, yeah, it's a complicated issue, especially if your terrorist attack is only destroying property but not hurting anybody's life. Is it really that bad? Ooh. Right. And so I'm like, I would like to avoid outbreaks of violence. (laughs) And so I think if we can do a lot now by building up trust and reciprocity in local communities, then we won't need that kind of outbreak. Um, That's that's my optimism. And uh, and yeah, and in any community and trying to center indigenous voices in that community, I think that helps a lot. Uh, And for top down stuff, go to religious leaders who seem much more willing to cooperate and yeah. I mean, there's a billion Catholics on the planet. That's a pretty intensely centralized organization. Uh, and other groups as well. It's not just the Pope. Um, even, you know, looking at Dalai Lama with Buddhists and uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury for the Anglicans. There's, there's all these religious leaders who are like, you can come to us. And, you know, I mean, the, the Catholic Church did this when the Roman Empire fell. They're like, we're still here. <laughs> and so, and like, we've seen empires rise and fall. Uh, so religious institutions are kind of like these these big globes that people can live in. They're they're containers, and so Christianity, Islam, they can get people through uh, when our governments and our corporations are kind of failing us. Mm-hmm.